Welcome to Culture Bites, where we take culture theory and turn it into everyday insights. We're powered by Human Synergistics, and our mission is to change the world one organization at a time. We can only do that together with our amazing community, so thank you for listening. Hi, my name is Dominic Gawley. I'm a consultant with Human Synergistics Australia, and I'm joined by fellow consultant Liana Sangster. Hey, Liana. Hey, Dom. How you doing? Pretty good. Welcome back to the podcast studio. It's, it's been a little while. It's been a while. Great to have you back. And what I want to talk to you today about was really around positioning, positioning like an LSI program or a coaching program. So if you're going to mm. do it, I know a lot of people hit some pitfalls maybe in kind of the setup and how they're explaining it because you're trying to kind of get get buy-in from people, right? So mm. what are some of those common common roadblocks you see or common you know, speed bumps, whatever you want to call them? And how do you go about framing it up, setting it up mm. to be the most successful for a program? It's a common question and I get it. I often find that when we're bringing our accredited practitioner group together, once they're, you know, when they're new to using the LSI, that when I'm hearing how they're, the challenges that they've been having mm. in getting traction, part of it is in the build-up mm. around why am I here? And so I think there's probably there's a programmatic how you roll things out uh-huh. Which could be a whole other episode. Yeah. But then, as a debriefer going into a session with a client, particularly if you're coming in and you may not be a part of that, how do you set yourself up so that you can minimise the amount of defensiveness you get in the room? Mm. Because naturally, people already feel a little bit nervous on edge. They're about to. You got some data on You've them. You've got something on them. Mm. They don't know. They might be nervous about the feedback they're getting. So some of the roadblocks, I suppose, you experience is that. You can sometimes get clients already feeling that nervous energy and when you move into looking at some data, looking at a circumplex, you can hear them saying things like, so what you're telling me is red and green is bad Mm. and blue is good. Mm. And that's some of the the areas, I suppose, that might happen regardless, but there are some things that you can probably do in the frame up that will help reduce that Mm. level of defensiveness. Yeah, so it's, it's pretty common that one, isn't it? You know, oh, so you're saying that this is bad or this is good. Mm. And therefore, I feel judged now for being a certain way. Especially if they know roughly what they're going to come out as or whatever, you know. Yeah. Um, so how do you get around that? Because I know I've I've used one, you know, oh, there's no good, but good, bad, right and wrong, but there's more and less effective. And But then people are like, well, that is right or wrong. That is good or bad, right? Yeah. It's kind of how they feel anyway, even if you say that. So. So what do you do in that frame up? How do you, how do you set approach. it up for best effect? So I've tried lots of different approaches and I'm always learning new ways of doing it, but I found a couple of key points that I'll hit. Mm. And there's broadly, I would say, five areas that mm. I would stress or position in the very early piece. The first piece I would talk about is that it is a measure of effectiveness and we're looking at opportunities to maximize our effectiveness. And it can sometimes be helpful to tease that out as it's not about whether you are or are not effective at your job, whether you're liked or disliked, whether you are a good or a bad person, but we're looking for the opportunities where you can continue to stretch, grow, and maximize effectiveness. Okay. So, but when they say, you know, like I'm red, for instance. Yeah. So you're saying all the opportunity is to grow in blue. Well, you know, I get stuff done in red, so. Yes, you do. What's wrong with that? Which, uh, well, that would probably take me to my (laughs) next point. (laughs) 
So I usually, well, I try to get in all these points before we reach that that question. So we'll park that for a moment and we'll Mm. move to my next point, Mm. which is that it is a measure of where you're putting your effort, time and energy. Mm. And that some of those within these styles that we look at, we are going to have color everywhere, but to be mindful that some correlate more strongly positively with effectiveness than others. So that would be my second point. So, I mean, just to rewind the clock on that, what is effectiveness anyway, right? How do you define that? Yeah, well, what is effectiveness and who defines it? Yeah. And this is where I'm sort of, I guess, reluctant to go into too much of a spiel, but the research comes from many, many years looking into what motivates humans. Mm. If you think about the origin when Clay Lafferty first designed the LSI-1, he was more curious about the elements that made people effective in a sustained way over a long period of time Uh, during an era where psychologists were really curious about issues. Yeah, it was all about the problems. Yeah. Yeah. So he was looking at, you know, what are the common themes that emerge when we look at the research of people who manage to sustain performance? Uh, This brings me to another point. How do we measure what they do, where they put their mental time and energy uh, and their behaviours eventually is what came out of that in a way that they can wear all the hats they want to wear in their life uh, without costing themselves or others too much damage along the way. uh, So to your question earlier about what is effectiveness and I get outcomes using this task stuff, uh, absolutely you do. But we want to look more broadly at how sustainable is the way you're currently operating and what are some of the other factors that could be unintended consequences of that style of operating. Uh, I know, um, you know, uh, Matt Croxford always used to talk about the payoff and trade-off of styles. Do you ever Mm, use that kind of stuff? I like that, payoff and trade-off. Yeah. So that was always around, you know, you can get things done from red and you can get, you know, there's things about green too that are are positive, right? Like in green, hey, we all get along and and Mm. it's a pleasant environment. There's nothing wrong about that. So that's the payoff. The trade-off is, well, maybe we're not having some, we're not resolving some conflict that's actually there and maybe we're not getting as much done as we, we would like to do. Yeah. You know, and then read the payoff can be, you know, you can kick some goals and get some stuff done for sure, but the trade-off could be in relationships or something like that. Hmm. Depends, right? And then, so sometimes what I like to do, at least in a setup, is ask people, especially if you've got a workshop setting, to set it up is what's the payoff and trade-off of each of the styles, right? And get people to identify. And then what's the what's the payoff and trade-off in the constructive styles? And mm. it's not really that same trade-off. I often find when you I love that activity is a payoff and trade-off or cost benefit. It's I think at a cluster level it's a really helpful activity to do. Mm. Some people will come back with, but constructive does take time. And I would say mm. that in the short term that would be the one trade-off. Short term, more investment, long term less time. Uh, yeah. So it's kind of like you can tell sometimes, you know, say you've got a job to do. Sometimes it's faster just to do it yourself than try to explain yeah. it to someone else, Yeah, which is faster this time. But I guess if you have to do it 10 times, suddenly it would have been faster to get you train, know, train someone, someone else, else totally. to do it, right? Yeah. To, it's like spending the time some. up front to create really clear goals and bring people along that journey. And what are we trying to achieve and how are we going to do it? And you invest that time up front to engage them and get them enthusiastic about it so that they can then leave the room 
feeling energized and clear. Mm. And then you've got 10 people who are now off in action moving Mm. versus just go and do this Mm. and not allowing a space for it. It opens yourself up for the possibility. So in that moment, it's quicker just to direct and tell. But what usually happens is people walk away feeling potentially unclear, may may need to check back in. Mm. So on the long run, that style tends to create more work for you. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So if we have the, you know, it's a measure of effectiveness, it's where you put your effort, energy, and time. Yes. Where do you go next? I bounce around them. I think the other thing I really is important to talk about is when you're using the LSI that it's a lifestyle inventory. So it is a way to start to enter into the conversation that you take your head everywhere you go. Uh-huh. And so you often get people saying things like, my work requires me to be this way. And up front, this is a metric of your whole life. I often give the analogy similar to what we did before around you can be kicking goals uh-huh. and you can be working long days, busy days, you get home and you're too tired to engage with your friends, family, children, partner, and you're flatlined on the weekend, is, would not be our definition of effective in terms of your, how you're spending your time because we're looking at the sustainability of that operating rhythm yeah. and where might those costs be. Yeah. Um, so it is a whole of life. And you, interestingly, even when people say, I have to be that way, there's, you we seem to be on the on the flavor today on the, the aggressive defensive style, so we mm. may as well continue. <laughs> sure. They might say, I have to be this way for my job. I would be very surprised if they went home and shared it with someone that know them well. They wouldn't see a little bit of that somewhere at mm. some point. Mm. And often I'll ask clients to do that if um, if they're insistent that they're behaving a certain way. It's possible that the environment absolutely encourages certain behaviors in you. There's no mm. doubt about it. That's how culture works. But the lifestyles inventory is designed to give you some insight so that you can exercise choice. And we want to give people awareness so that they can choose a path around how they think and behave that will lead to them being more effective. Choice. Want to increase choice, not tell them the right way to be. Yes. Yep. So, yeah, 100% agree. So, yeah, you don't uh, take your head off when you leave the office for the day or whatever. It's the same. Same you. Same you. Same you. So, yeah, talking about, and, and you know what? Sometimes going, harking back to the payoff and trade off, sometimes the trade offs can be, yeah, at home, like you say, right? So, yeah. so the payoff might be at work, but the trade off might be at home. Can happen. So, sometimes it's useful for people to broaden their scope mm. for the conversation to kind of take into account all the costs and all the benefits. Definitely. Of different styles. We don't operate in a vacuum. You know, our life is, is one, it's one whole picture. And some people may be willing to wear a cost for short term. That's okay. Mm. But let's also consider long term. Mm. What's next after that? So we talked about, you know, it's the, the whole of life thing. So where do you go from there? Whole of life. And I threw in that, I did throw in there that we're maximizing choice as well. So we're not only maximizing effectiveness, but trying to find a, a spot for us to choose rather than move into our reactive states of being. The other key thing, and I feel like this is, a missing piece of the puzzle for many people who are new to using different metrics is that we're not measuring a fixed state, we're not measuring personality, mm. that it's a learned way of being. Mm. I think this is really critical because if we take the LSI 1, for example, that is the individual's adapted self. You think about the iceberg, the LSI 1 sits below the water, it's invisible, 
but beneath that is your DNA and your preference, maybe your personality, MBTI. And when we say the reason why I think this is critical is probably two reasons. One is that if it's learned, it can be unlearned and everyone can learn how to do constructive. So Uh when you hear people say things like, I am a competitive person, so Uh they are making a statement as if it's fixed. Uh So there's the fact that everyone can learn how to do constructive. That's why I think talking about it as a a learned behavior is important. The other thing is so that individuals don't feel the judgment attached to some of the things they've either been doing or carrying with them for a long period of time, because at some point they learned that. And at some point, it was very necessary for them, for their Uh, survival. uh, And that is not a judgment. It is simply something they've learned or acquired in their habitual patterns. And uh, the purpose is to unpack that and determine, is this still useful for you? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I often set it up exactly the same way with, you know, like people don't do things for no reason, mm. right? We, we don't just do things because. And I think, Genuinely, no one wakes up in the morning saying, you know, I want to be a grumpy bugger today, you know. Mm. And often under those styles, it can be a positive intent sometimes, right? So it's, Mm. you know, if you want something done right, do it yourself. Could underlie power, you know, potentially. So people don't do stuff for no reason. Mm. The question is, is it the most effective, right? Does it help you? Does it cost you anything? And opening up the question, opening up the thinking to, is there a different way could there be a different way to do it that mm. doesn't come with some of those downsides? Yeah. And I think if you do that, like you say, it kind of lessens the blow because it's not, yeah, hey, you do it for a reason. And at some level, it works for people. Otherwise, they wouldn't yeah. use that strategy. Yep. So it works for them at some level. But is there a better way? Why don't we explore that? Explore the possibility. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, I think the frame up helps with that discussion as well as another thing that I've learned along the way is it's the frame up and it's also determining what that individual really wants out of their time with you because sometimes you get clients that are put in front of that have come with and it's, they're coming because they're part of a program mm-hmm. right so they're not really they've not opted in for it uh-huh. so you can do positioning but i think i guess the other critical thing which is what's occurring to me is we're talking is what's important to you right now and what's important to you 12 months from now uh-huh. and that becomes part of the discussion to uh-huh. put all of this into perspective. And then do you, so if you ask that, so what matters to you now and in 12 months, Mm. do you then relate that back to the LSI? So, you know, how is, say, your your current way of thinking, how is that helping and hindering you from getting there or something? Yes. I mean, the idea, in my mind, the idea is not for an individual to grow blue on a page, but to generate more satisfaction from living. Mm. And that, that often comes for a lot of people that we work with comes from feeling like they're accomplishing things well in mm-hmm. their life mm-hmm. and they're in good relationships with others. Mm-hmm. And so the goal is to grow something of meaning there. And when you talk to people about it, whether it's that they want to be promoted into a GM role, maybe mm. they want more time with their family, it can be many and varied, but inevitably there are some themes that emerge from what people want in their life. And absolutely, you look back at how they're thinking and behaving and make some connections around what they might what might be getting in the way or what they might increase if they wanted to move towards that end goal. Mm. And so so we've been through a few, right? So it's a measure of effectiveness. It's a measure of where you put your time, energy, and effort. It's about all of life, so the lifestyles inventory. It's about maximizing choice. Mm-hmm. So we're choosing, you know, how we want to 
how we want to operate. Um, it's not a fixed state, which is important because the other thing about personality profiles and stuff, I feel like they can pigeonhole people. Yeah. Because then it's like, oh, well, I'm a dot, 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 and therefore I'll do nothing to change. <laughs> I'm, I'm an introvert, therefore I can't affiliate. Exactly. <laughs> or like in, in our language, you know, if people treat it as a fixed thing, it'd be like, I'm passive or I'm aggressive or whatever, and that's just who I am. Mm. But it's not, as you said, it's, it's been learned over time and can be changed. Mm. And then it's about linking in to what, what matters to them now and in the future. What are their plans and how does it impact them? Leanna, would you do this? Do you do this at the start of like a debrief or how do you introduce all this? If I'm doing a one-on-one where the individual has limited knowledge of what the circumplex is about, mm. even when they you know, propose to know a fair bit about it, I still I will spend 10, 15 minutes up front, probably 10 minutes being honest, uh, doing this. So I guess then the other option is that you weave it into your group sessions if you want to. Mm. position it. I'm not fancy with it. I tend to just go through a bit of a spiel and often will accompany it with a hand drawing of an iceberg or the S plus T equals R mm. model to bring it to life. Yeah. So what's the S plus T equals R? The, how that fits in with this is that I want to give them a visual aid to understand that we're looking at two data sets. We're looking at their thinking and their behavior. and Really, my purpose, there's probably a dual purpose again to separate and put some structure around the debrief before we go into the data, but it's also to show them that we've got the situation that we find ourselves in, we've got our thinking and our response, and that only two of those are within our control. Uh And there seems to be some patterns I notice in organizations where people feel like they're directing their effort often in areas that are outside of their control and feeling frustrated Mm. or they're reacting to situations in a way that is not helping the end goal. And Mm. so it can be a helpful positioning. What I tend to do is draw it up and talk about the thinking and the response and that the purpose is to raise some awareness around Mm. them so that they can create some space between situations and the way they think about it and create some space between the thinking and how they choose to respond so that they can maximize. Mm. Yeah, so it's kind of framing up how it all fits together and stuff. Mm. Yeah, I like that. If I have a choice, I love to do a workshop before jumping one-on-one if I'm given the option because what I love to do, and it's, it's the same on all the stuff that you've mentioned, is getting people to define what effectiveness looks like for themselves, right? Yeah. So in, in our accreditation and stuff, we do you know effective and effective leader and so on. And the reason I like doing that is like I, I did a program recently where most of the people were in a workshop, but a couple missed it for whatever reason. They were sick on the day or traveling or something. And so I had the people who had been to the workshop and when they came one-on-one, it was a quick recap of what do you remember stepping through it. But they had already defined effectiveness for themselves. So I didn't have to, it's not me telling yeah. them that constructive is effective. They've defined it for themselves. Yeah. So they've set their own goal. Whereas the one, ones who hadn't been to it, it was a lot harder because they hadn't set their own goal. I could tell them, yeah, constructors are more effective and so on. But I don't think they quite get it in the same way without mm. experiencing, without defining it for themselves. Because you know, one of them said, oh, I want to grow power and stuff. I was like, cool, let's look at the items. What That's do you want to grow? Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. You know, so I think there's, if I have the option, I always love to do a workshop first 100%. just to, to get people in a group deciding what does good look like for themselves. And then, it's no longer Liana says this or mm-hmm. human synergistics research says that. 
it's well you told me <laughs> that this is effective yeah so from a it's your own benchmark yeah yeah from a program design point of view that is absolutely the preference it makes so much difference to your the quality and the richness of your coaching time if yeah. when individuals when they arrive they already have made some conclusions themselves mm. and they if facilitated with that in mind the inquiry and discovery model they mm. will come believing that constructive is something that actually is going to help them yes yeah exactly as a, yeah which is as opposed to you feeling like you have to do the sell hard sell them. yeah it's never fun <laughs> i know yeah that's it avoid the hard sell get yeah yeah get a workshop and if you can no it one doesn't likes to be told no one likes to be told yeah i think and that's you know we talk about that and you you mentioned that just then was inquiry and discovery is that people if they draw the conclusion themselves it's so much more powerful yeah because they believe it Whereas if you're told, you're like, mm, maybe. And, <laughs> you know, and so they so. should too. So yeah, like I kind of feel yeah. like you should, you should be able to come to that conclusion and you know, use your own mind to make those connections. Yeah, I love it. All right, any um, final, final bit of advice for APs out there who are doing debriefs? Always, always, always connect it to the individual's why. Mm. That's a major learning. And if they haven't, they haven't figured out what that is, keep working away at it. Mm, beautiful I love it thanks for your time today Liana pleasure thanks for listening to this episode of Culture Bites. if you enjoy the show remember to subscribe on iTunes Stitcher SoundCloud or wherever you get your podcasts also leave us a review it helps other people to find the show if you have a question you'd like us to answer email podcast at human-synergistics.com.au we'd love to answer it This podcast is copyrighted by Human Synergistics Australia, all rights reserved. To learn more about what we do, visit human-synergistics.com.au.